Hi, I'm David Kingsbury. I'm the founder of fitness website davidkingsbury.co.uk and you're listening to the App Guy podcast. The App Guy podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host, it's uh, Paul Kemp. So this is the show where I help you as a potential entrepreneur, uh, a solopreneur, a startup founder, maybe you're, you've got a business of apps, or maybe you're just intrigued about what happens in the in the world of business and entrepreneurship. Uh, so my job is to go around and, and meet some of the most amazing uh, entrepreneurs and try to deconstruct their journeys so that we can learn uh, for ourselves. Uh, and to do this today, uh, episode 521, I've got a wonderful guest. Uh, his name is uh, Alex Kalichi. He is the CEO of Umail. And let me just give uh, some background to why I'm talking with Alex. Uh, we're going to go through Umail, but uh, he's also in his past co-founded a company called Quack.com. And get this, he sold this company within 18 months for $200 million to AOL, where he then actually uh, helped AOL with uh, multiple product launches. And they uh, uh, managed to get this over 1 million paying subscribers, loads of uh, wonderful um, uh, history that we can tap into here to help us out. So Alex, welcome to the App Guy podcast. Uh, thank you for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on as well, and you're incredibly successful. Uh, well, let's start off by just talking about what you're doing now, uh, Umail, uh, and then maybe after that we can go through some of your history. Uh, Umail, what, what is Umail? So Umail is a replacement for mobile voicemail that's targeted at the sole proprietor, the person running their own business themselves. And the idea of Umail is that if you're a sole proprietor, you get tons of phone calls. But you might be a plumber under the sink. It's hard to answer the phone. You may be you know, a lawyer in court. Again, hard to answer the phone. Hard to even deal with text messages in those circumstances. And so what we realize is these folks need to have a virtual receptionist. They need a receptionist to handle the calls when they can't. And so that's what Umail is. We replace your mobile voicemail with a virtual receptionist to provide your callers with a great experience, even even when you can't get to the phone. Right. Now, what I love, Alex, is uh, when we speak to entrepreneurs like yourself, it, it's fascinating. You, you've obviously come out of a very successful uh, sale and an experience with your last company. Uh, why pick this particular idea over all the rest? What Did you have some kind of assessment that it passed? Uh, can you help us through you know, your thinking and why you chose you know, this particular problem to focus on? So it's actually kind of interesting because it's not so much I chose the problem, but the problem chose me. So after I left AOL, I was doing a number of angel investments, you know, finding interesting companies that I thought were tackling, uh, you know, a problem that if it if they succeeded with a solution, it could be very large scale. And Umail was one of those companies that came along extremely early stage, essentially a prototype and a few users, but they had a vision of you know, tackling voicemail, which everybody hated, with a better service. At the time, they were thinking it, you know, the key things were you get voicemail in the cloud so you can pick it up both on your um, phone but also on your computer. So it was a very early idea of visual voicemail. They had the notion of different greetings, so a public greeting that most people hear, but private greetings that your, you know, friends and spouse and others could hear. And it just seemed like it was kind of an innovative take on something that had been basically frozen for 20 years. And so so you look at that and I think, you know, voicemail may be going 
going away, but the phone calls are probably not going away. So having a platform that you could use to try to give a better experience when you're just too busy to answer a call, but there needs to be a call, and being able to do that at enormous scale, because everybody has a phone number, and you know everybody in business, at least, cares about phone calls, that was just too good an opportunity to pass up. And so I invested in it. Long story short, I wound up running it. Long story short, I wound up putting tons of money into it and trying to scale scale the business. So it was something I was interested in. It was an opportunity that came by, and I thought, you know, I want to tackle this. I want to see what I can do to make the phone call experience better for people because I'm not one of those who believe that, that it's going away entirely someday. So what I love about this story, I think you're probably the first um, entrepreneur that we've spoken to that has invested as an angel investor and then gone on to become CEO and uh, an owner of the company. And so that's slightly um, different from what our usual stories are. And, uh, what, um, what attracted you to like wanting to run the, the company rather than just continue to invest and get someone else to run it for you? Well, it's one of those things where initially I wanted to just invest, you know, temporarily run it to help them out and bring somebody else in. But it got momentum. So, you know, we started getting some traction at the time with potentially getting carriers to release the product. We raised uh, f- almost five million in venture capital on top of a couple million of angel and, you know, got borrowed a couple million on top of that. So we had tons of money to work with. And it felt like, hey, this is an opportunity where I want to see if I can help change the world. Now, what's really interesting about Umail is the first incarnation of it spent a couple of years and a lot of money trying to convince carriers that their existing voicemail product had a bunch of flaws and this was a better solution. And sad to say, the sales cycle outlet, uh, outlasted the funding of the company to some degree. So, you know, with the sales cycle, you try to convince the carriers, you do tests, you work your way up from small carriers to big carriers. Long story short, that just didn't work for us. But as we did that, we discovered we had over a million BlackBerry users at the time using an app that we built primarily as an example of what could be done with our platform. And so it was really interesting because I'd gone in to go after carriers, came back and pivoted to go after consumers. And in fact, we've pivoted multiple times since then, but that's that's a story on its own. But really attracted to me is I like to build things that a large number of consumers can use and where I believe that you know me, my team, our ideas, our development talent, we can actually build something that that really makes a difference to, to folks. So Alex, I mean, I'm so inspired by the story so far. And we have a lot of the Appster tribe listening to this who are maybe venturing into their first company, uh, sort of sticking their toe in the water. You've come off the back of a successful sale. You've been extremely successful at AOL. I would love to know what your thought process is and why you continue doing what you do. Uh, what, what, you know, you could have gone to retire at a, uh, in a lovely beach somewhere. What, what made you carry on? You know, it's, it's about making a difference, right? So one of the things I, I personally am interested in is how to help people get their businesses going and growing. So, you know, in the U.S., there's 
28 million people who've officially started some sort of business, whether it's they're a realty agent, whether they're a plumber, whether they're a contractor, whether they hang drywall, whatever it is, they're independently trying to build something up. Initially, it's always you know, business for themselves, try to take care of themselves and their family, but over time they start getting employees and they grow. And, and I wanted to be part of that and help those folks. And so that's a big driver for me. I feel like I, I've been pretty lucky in, in the success that, that I've had over time. And I want to help others. And in this case, telephony is an area I've got some expertise. And I just decided, hey, look, these guys live and die by the phone call. So let's, let's do that better for them. At least that, that was the start of this. Right. What, what I'd love to do as well, Alex, is that uh, we have also uh, founders who have companies who listen to this. And in fact, I was speaking with one today who sold his company. Um, we very rarely go through how uh, we can sell the company. And I'd love to know, you know, tips from you in you took a company within 18 months and sold it to AOL, which is a big feat. And I'd love to know how you know you would advise anyone else set themselves up to have a successful sale and exit so it's really interesting because i'd love to come on and say i had this plan and this one two three cookbook or recipe and it just worked out perfectly what what we did is we said where is there a big hole something we wish there was that's not there yet so back then it was you know it was pre smartphone days and what we wanted was the ability to get digital information on the go. So you're in a store and you're shopping, you want to be able to get a better price. Obviously now you just plug it into your smartphone and off you go through various websites. But back then there weren't smartphones, there wasn't the mobile web. There was just an opportunity to solve that problem of getting information when you're on the go. And so we just wanted to build the best possible solution for that. We built a platform, we built essentially a telephony app that people access with a 1-800 number. Just think Siri over a 1-800 number. And that then became very interesting to the existing web portals at the time because they were very big on giving you access on the desktop and wanted to expand on that. So the natural place for them to expand was let's provide access over the telephone, you know, initially by voice, and obviously they expanded it over time. And we were the you know, a solution for providing that information by voice, which is what enabled us to, you know, sell the company because we met a core need that those guys had at the time. And so if I could give advice, it's make sure you're doing something where you can see and imagine who would buy you. Where do you, where are you additive to something a company's currently doing where you have an advantage, you've built technology, you've built something that's hard for them to simply build themselves. And then the natural thing is, is they skate to where you are is to go pick you up. Not, it's much easier said than done, but you should always have in mind who might buy you and why. And the answer is, oh, Facebook will buy me because we're great. It's not a very good answer. It's really much more detailed about where are these guys trying to go? What's a likely area or need they might have? How do I fit into that? And I can imagine there's lots of opportunities there because these big companies, uh, especially, you know, you mentioned Facebook, they dominate the app store, uh, Apple, Google. Um, they can sometimes be a little bit slow to identify these uh, uh, needs in the market. Uh, so you, you mentioned a couple of things, actually, that are long running themes of this show. Problem solving, which is uh, something I think you've really um, like you made us realize, and also uh, pivoting. Uh, let's talk about pivoting because that's really hard for some of us. 
you know, you get this really awesome idea and you just can't see uh, ch- changing it. Uh, how do you know when to pivot? You know, that is one of the, the toughest questions to answer because it's partially intuitive and partially data-driven. Uh, for me, one of the reasons to pivot is that you planned your business do, you know, going and growing at a certain rate, and it's not. And you look at that and you start going, well, why is that, right? Is it because the demand isn't what we thought? It's, you know, what, what's causing the issue that we're having with growth not, not looking like it should? And so that's usually the thing that says, hmm, maybe I should consider pivoting. But then the question is, well, what do I pivot to? So that's where you look at the market, you look at your assets and you start thinking, hmm, there seems to be areas that are moving faster or I could maybe contribute more to. Let's see if we should be thinking about doing a pivot to go in that area. So I'll give you an example. So when we did Quack, originally we wanted to be a consumer portal. We imagined Quack as the the destination. You know, people are going to call our number to get all the information they want. But, you know, building a destination site is extremely difficult. Getting people habituated in behavior to call a phone number or even go to a particular website. You see the enormous sums of money that people have to raise to do that sort of thing. So we started thinking, hmm, maybe we built a great platform. Maybe what we should be doing is talking to the providers who already have content and becoming the way they get that content out on another channel. So then that instead of being B2C, you know, directly to consumers, let's see if we can convince these large-scale businesses that we're a solution. And what the minute we made that pivot, very, very quickly, uh, we had opportunities and we're starting to get a lot of interest in what we were doing. And so that told us that that's the right way to go. Uh, we've done the same thing with email. We, we tried to go after carriers very, very hard. It, we probably pivoted too late in that regard, but we, you know, carriers take a long time, so it's hard to know you failed until you failed. And we looked at that and said, well, you know, we've got data showing us that we've got a lot of consumers using our app with no marketing. Hmm, maybe there's ways that we can organically grow uh, off the consumer base and focus on that. And it had a lot of advantages. You're not having to build to the scale of a carrier right away. Way. You're not dependent on outsiders buying your product, you know, like a, or, or deciding to implement your product. Like at a carrier, you're going after consumers directly, and we saw a lot of traction as we started focusing in that that area. Even though at that point we had very little funding, and we're sort of back to gorilla to grow. So it's it's one of those things where you know set up your expectations on what you think you're going to do. If you're not hitting them really carefully analyze why, and then look around you to see if there's an adjacent area that can leverage what you've got where you think you might have a better bet. It's, it's much easier said than done. A lot of times, you know, you tell the story, it makes it seem like, oh yeah, of course we knew. And it's, it's a lot of like, well, let's try this little thing, let's try that thing, and eventually, boom, you, you've decided you've got to pivot. Now, Alex, I'm thinking we had a, uh, a wonderful chat. It was um, quite a, a while ago now with an angel investor called Chris Jones. And you're an angel investor. Uh, you've been one. Um, I wondered if uh, you could give us some idea of the criteria that you use uh, when investing in a tech company in particular. Do you have like a school of thought about what you will or will not invest in? Or, uh, yeah, maybe you can give us some ideas on uh, your thinking. Well, let me first do a little bit of a disclaimer. So I've done some angel investing on my own, and I've had a couple of winners and a fair number of losers. And so what I ended up doing was actually starting to invest in angel funds, where you've got the wisdom of crowds helping pick out what the right investments are. 
Um, just because I think it's very hard to pick five to ten companies on your own with a yeah, as an angel investor. It's much easier to invest in a fund that's investing in fifty to hundred companies where you've got you know hundred people contributing ideas and and helping decide what's good or bad. So I think being an angel investor is actually really hard. But what I've noticed is the companies that seem to be successful generally have a problem that everybody agrees is a problem. So it's either you know every consumer would agree it's a problem or every consumer in a particular segment or every business in a segment, it's obviously a problem. They've got some unique solution to that problem. It's not, you know, there's a hundred solutions, but it seems like they're the one or two that are really working on that. And then it comes down to the team. Do you believe that the team that's building this technology can turn it into a company that can really hit scale while solving a problem? And so that seems to be the core, a big problem, some sort of unique approach to that problem, and then a team that you believe can carry on and, and you know, get traction and move forward in the space. Maybe. Uh, how about this then? We do have people uh, who have made money through selling uh, companies who have been on the show and listened to the show. Uh, how can we help those people avoid losing money? Because I can imagine there is this... Um, trend that you know you end up having a successful exit you're not quite sure what to do you end up uh, investing as an angel uh, and then backing a load of companies that are similar to what you've done but then lose money uh, so <laughs> how is it um, uh, we can actually help people from losing their uh, you know money after uh, having a successful exit I think that the thing to remind people is being an entrepreneur is different than being an investor. When you're an entrepreneur, all your eggs are in one basket and you're watching that basket and you're moving forward. You've got a domain you understand well. You've got a company you understand well. You're putting everything into a single space, right? A single area. When you're an investor, when you're an investor, it's almost the exact opposite. You want to know a little bit about a lot of companies and be able to look at big trends and things to find the winners. And so I find that to be the biggest challenge is explaining to people that they're not, in fact, investors just because they sold a company and did well doing that. Some people are, but it's, you know, just because you can drive a race car doesn't mean you can drive a motorcycle. They're two different things. Yeah, I love that. And in fact, before the podcast, I used to work in investment banking and uh, uh, we did have, uh, you know, quite a few uh, investments. And uh, what we suddenly realized, you know, I'm reading a book at the moment called uh, Unshakable by Tony Robbins, wonderful book. And uh, he, he's interviewed Warren Buffett and all these others. Uh, and, and he comes from investment as try not to lose money first. That's the, the kind of first goal is don't lose money. Uh, and I wondered, you know, with app entrepreneurship, with entrepreneurship in general, we, we never really think too much about the protecting the downside. We're always going for the big wins. Is it important to protect the downside? You know, as an entrepreneur, you, you really want to focus on the big win or making a difference. As an investor, you absolutely want to protect on the downside. And I, I think one of the things I realized is you don't want to put more than a certain percentage of your assets into extreme early stage investment. It's very risky. So the single biggest thing to protecting the downside is don't put the money in at all. <laughs> you know, put 90% of your assets into safe things, whatever they may be, you know, whether it's the normal stock market or bonds or how, how real estate, whatever, and leave, you know, 5-10% is what you're willing to actually go bet 
on, on companies. So that helps you a lot because I feel like when I invest in an angel investment, I have to be prepared to lose it entirely because otherwise, you know, I'm, you don't want to go into an angel investment hoping to get 7% a year as a return. It's just not, not interesting. You want the big winners and you can't have big winners without big losers. So it's really about deciding how much am I willing to really roll the dice on and viewing it that way. So, so Alex, uh, in the last few minutes we have, you've been in this industry for quite some time now and you've seen a lot of things. Uh, I just wondered if you had any views on trends that you're seeing, especially in telecoms and with uh, you know apps in particular and mobile. Are there any particular interesting trends that we can flesh out to talk about? So, you know, a lot of the trends that people talk about are, are kind of big movements. So there's a movement in communication to do everything by video, right? And I think that's a big one. People are trying to figure out how to interact more with video. I mean, you know, your, my, my nine year old and my 11 year old, they, they love FaceTime. They, they just communicate by video very naturally. The person who's a plumber doesn't communicate by video very naturally, but video is expanding everywhere. So one of the big trends I see is how does video take over more of our you know, business type interactions where it, it doesn't do much now. And so I think for me, what I look at is I see these big trends that everybody else sees, video everywhere, augmented reality, virtual reality, et cetera. And what I find interesting is how is this actually going to become a part of how com uh, consumers and businesses communicate? And I think you're going to see some really interesting, surprising stuff over the next few years as people sort all of that out. Like, for example, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have imagined texting your dentist for an appointment, where now that's becoming the kind of behavior that, that people expect. Some people expect to call. Some people expect to text. So I, I'm just imagining more and more of these channels of communication opening up. And it'll be really interesting to see how each of those channels work and then how all those channels get integrated to have a, you know, a really compelling overall experience for that poor guy trying to run his business. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I can't imagine. I can imagine it won't be very long until uh, the Google or whoever looks at our calendar and says, "Hey, it's been six months since you had since you had your last checkup. Let's book automatically an appointment for your dentist." Uh, and so that our life is curated more and more. <laughs> um, so, Alex, I mean, we're getting towards the end, and uh, I just I'm fascinated with just how um, you know incredibly successful you've been and, and what you're jumping on now is, is there anything you feel that we've missed and to talk about and that could help the entrepreneurs solopreneurs that listen to this show I think the biggest thing I learned is is a couple things. So one is don't give up. I mean, there's always dark points for us. There's times we're almost out of money. There are times where a deal drops through. I mean, you can't let all of those things get you down. But the, the related part is that if you're having enough problems, you should be thinking about how you can pivot to a greener area where there might be fewer problems. So the key thing for the entrepreneur is don't get too depressed, but get depressed enough to switch if something isn't working working well for you in the path you're taking. But if you keep doing that, you'll eventually find some, some level of success and then you need a bit of luck to turn it into a really big level of success. Yeah, no, I love that advice and especially uh, pivoting because... Uh, you know, a lot of uh, the apps to Tribe are struggling on the App Store. Um, that's their sort of only idea is to monetize an app. 
And uh, we know that it's becoming harder and harder to make it on the App Store, given the level of competition and the dominance from the big companies. You know, the, the so, thing yeah. to, to think about there is that, you know, the odds of winning the lottery are one in a million, and now there's over a million apps in the App Store. So <laughs> the chances of just putting something out and having a big winner are, you should almost buy a lottery ticket. So you really have to have a core problem and a strategy to try to, try to grow your app, and that requires patience. And that's very difficult for people. There's, it's no more just build an app and boom, it's going to be a big deal. It's, it's a lot more than that to build a business uh, out of an app. So, so Alex, it's episode 521 for the Apps to Tribe. You can go to theappguy.co and search for uh, Alex Kalichi and you'll see uh, links to Alex and email. Uh, I just wondered though, Alex, how best can people uh, connect and, and uh, start to play around with Umail? What, what is the best way of getting in touch? So, so right now, Umail is interesting because it's a US only app. I mean, we sort of support Canada, but more at a beta level. So the best thing is go to either app store. If you're in the US, download the Umail app and you can run it and get it going really fast, couple minutes and you know, watch it change your life if uh, you're an entrepreneur that gets a lot of phone calls. <laughs> Great. Okay. And that's Umail, Y-O-U-M-A-I-L, Umail. And uh, yeah, go and download it from the App Store. And actually, why not uh, rate it as well? Getting reviews is um, uh, always uh, important. Positive uh, Alex, reviews are good. <laughs> yeah, we love five-star reviews. We don't take to anything less. So, uh, Alex, thanks very much for coming on the App Guide podcast, being uh, our episode 521. Listen, all the best with uh, Umail. And I uh, can't wait until you start rolling this out globally. Thank you very much. I enjoyed the show a lot.